Do you have a bucket list? You know that list or just that dream of places you'd love to go or things you'd love to do? A lot of people have them, right? There's things that we would like to do. Maybe you want to run a marathon or something like that. Maybe there's some place you want to go. Maybe it's the Holy Land. You want to walk where Jesus walked. Well, there's one thing to have the list. There's one thing to have the dream. And then there's quite another to actually go and to do the thing or to see the thing, right? There's a difference. And for whatever reason, some things just stay on the list. Some things just remain a dream. And for a variety of reasons, maybe it's money, it just costs too much. Maybe just time, maybe busyness, maybe season of life. Maybe you need a certain knowledge or skill level to do whatever it is that you want to do. For whatever reason, some things just tend to stay on the list. Well, this morning we're continuing our series through the book of Exodus and hope for the 757. We're going to look this morning at Exodus chapters 26 all the way through chapter 30. Now, we saw last week that God has decided to make a tent among his people, to be in their midst, to tent among them. And that's the thing about hope, right? We saw that hope rests in the presence of God. In fact, the ancient church father, Augustine, he said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? We've all experienced that, that moment of just being restless and what that's like. And then if you know Jesus, you know what it's like to find your rest in God. Because people, we run after all kinds of things thinking that that will quiet down our heart. And so we run after a marriage, we run after a relationship, we run after having kids or getting a job, some level of success, having fun, whatever it is. And we realize that doesn't quite solve the restlessness of our heart because we were made for something more. Yet, as we continue our series, we're going to see that these people, as, as God is here, and what we really need most is this presence with God. Well, for the Israelites, there's still one really, 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 really big problem. And that problem is sin. Because sin separates us from God. And so God, he is this consuming fire. And any kind of unrighteousness, any kind of sin, when it enters into his presence, it is completely consumed. It is utterly destroyed because his holiness, it burns so beautifully and so brightfully. It consumes any kind of unrighteousness whatsoever. And that's a real problem because what the people need most is to be in God's presence. And yet to be in God's presence presence means to utterly destroy any kind of unrighteousness. And what are we? Unrighteous. So how do you get past that? What are you to do? Well, Exodus 26 through 30 begins to answer that for us. I'm going to be hopping around a lot this morning. So go ahead and bear with me as I kind of just tell you where we're headed next. But we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. It reads, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. And it shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of Akasha overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. 
Now skipping ahead to Exodus chapter 27, verses 20, all the way through Exodus 28, verse 5, reads, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout the generations by the people of Israel. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for holy and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful who, whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. Now skipping ahead again to Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, it reads, You shall make an altar. On which to burn incense, she shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit shall be its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top, and around its sides, and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its moldings, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. And they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of Akasha wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer any unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering and you shall not pour a drink offering on it Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations it is most holy to the Lord so as you can see, we got a lot of ground to cover this morning, but I want to give you just kind of a brief outline of these chapters and kind of where we're headed here a little bit. In Exodus chapter 26, you have the instruction of building the tent. Okay, this is the tabernacle and it is incredible, isn't it? Because we see here again, just the condescension of God, that God would come and he would, he would choose to live as a nomad, just a desert wanderer with his people. You know, we often think of the birth of Christ and how Jesus was born in this humble cave and he was laid to rest just in a, in a feeding trough and a manger as a baby. Well, here, even centuries before that, the God of the universe came to be among his people in the most humble of ways to live in a tent as a desert wanderer. And so we see that here in Exodus chapter 26. And as we see the instructions of this temple or of this tent, we see that there is still this separation that must take place, that 
the people, they're allowed to be in the temple court, in, in the tent courtyard. And then in the tent, there is the holy place where the priest can enter. And then there's a veil. And then there's the most holy place. And only the high priest can go in there. And he can only go in there once a year. In the holy place, you got the, you've got the, the lampstand and there's always light on. But in the most holy place, it's dark. It's always dark. And this kind of symbolizes the darkness of our sin and what even Jesus Christ would do. Remember, at his death, the whole world, the whole face of the earth was covered in darkness. As this transaction took place in the real holy of holies, where Jesus Christ perfectly, once and for all, made a sacrifice for our sin, providing for us a way of salvation. So... You have that in Exodus 26. Then you have Exodus 27. In Exodus 27, you have the instructions, more instructions about the, the tent and the furniture inside the tent. And you also have the instruction of the golden lampstand. And the instruction with this is always keep it burning. Aaron, his sons, we've got people, priests coming in, making sure this lampstand is always going. Why? Because the people need to know God is always present. He's never taken a vacation. He's never taken a nap. He's always present, always among his people, always in the midst of them. They need to know this. So there's the golden lampstand. Then you have Exodus 28. And in Exodus 28, you had the garments that the, that the priests are supposed to wear. Here's the priestly garments. And you get all the details related to those. Then you have Exodus 29. Exodus 29, you had the consecration of the priests. And then Exodus 30. In Exodus 30, you have the altar of incense. Always keep the incense burning. So it's interesting. You have Exodus 26, right? And it kind of sets up the whole thing that there's this separation that still is taking place because of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. So there's this veil that's separating the most holy place from the holy place. And then even that from the courtyard around the tent. Then you have these bookends. Exodus 27, there's the golden lampstand, the instruction there, always keep it burning, I'll always keep it lit. Exodus 30, the altar of incense, always keep it burning. Then in the middle there, right bunched in the middle, here's the stuff that the priests are supposed to wear, their garments, and here's the consecration process for the priests so that they can be fit for service for God. So, what does all this mean for me and you today? How does all this work? What's the importance of all of that? That's where we want to dig into. That's what we want to dive into. So first with the garments, okay? We dive back into Exodus chapter 28. We see the garments of the high priest and there's this breast piece and the breast piece, it's gold, it's blue, it's purple. There's scarlet yarn, there's fine twine linen. We see all of that. There's four rows of stone that are sewn into the breast piece and each stone is fitted with this gold uh, fittings around it. And on each stone, you have inscribed the names of the 12 sons of Israel. Then there's this ephod. And on ephod is a ceremonial dress. And again, it's also made of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. There were two shoulder pieces. And on each of the two shoulder pieces were stones. And engraved in each of the stones, again, were the names of the 12 sons of Israel. You also have 
a robe and the robe is blue fab fabric and it's covered with pomegranates and then there's bells at the bottom of it that are sewn into the hem of it and and the, these bells are made of gold there's gold cords hanging off of this there's also the coat of checkered work and then there's a turban that you'd wear on your head and on this turban there there is this signet that's put in there and on that is inscribed holy to the lord then you have a sash and there's a variety of gold chains and medallions and bells that are all on this garment, all that these priests have to wear. Now just think about this with me for a moment. I mean, think about all these garments that they've got to put on. How heavy would that have been? I mean, how, how much would that have weighed? You're talking about all these stones and all this gold and coat after coat after coat. And you got a turban on your head and how much would that weigh? What, what kind of process is it do you got to go through just to get all of that on? Make sure your sash is in the right place and didn't want to forget that checkered coat. You got to get all of this on you. It's weighing a ton. It's very hard. You got to make sure it's all fitting together. And all of this signifies your responsibilities and what you're going to do. So why, why all this? Well, see, these garments, what they did is they foreshadowed, they looked forward to the ideal high priest, the man from heaven. You see, it's interesting here because in Exodus 28, you get the garments. Here's what you're supposed to wear, but you don't get the high priest and their consecration until Exodus 29. It's, it's, it's not, hey, let's consecrate some priests and here's the garments you put on. It's no, here's the garments, now let's go get some priests. I mean, that's how the order works here. Why? Because the garments, they foreshadow the ideal high priest, the man from heaven. So let's look at these garments, okay, and what we know about these garments and how that foreshadowing takes place. Because the ideal high priest, he will be a man from heaven. And you notice everything about these garments well, they just match. They're made with the same material that is used to make the dwelling place of God. They're made with the same stuff that's made to make the tabernacle. All those same fine linens and, and um, uh, same gold and blue and purple, same colors, all that stuff. In fact, the same people who made that tabernacle, the same people who crafted that curtain, these same uh, skilled workers who made all this, they're the same ones who are to make these garments for the priests. It's the same stuff. Why? The ideal priest is a man from heaven who will walk in all the beauty and all the majesty of God himself. And these garments, they picture that. They picture the presence of God and who this ideal high priest will be. The ideal high priest, he also comes and he represents and is responsible for his people. Right? So this high priest, he comes in with these garments. And on this breast piece are these 12 stones. And written on them are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, on his shoulders are written on them the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. You see the high priest, he comes into the most holy place, not bearing his own name. But on his heart and on his shoulders, he bears the names of those he represents. He's coming in to atone for their sin, bringing all of their sin, all of their unrighteousness before God. He bears the weight of them as he enters into this place to atone for them. 
So you understand, to be a high priest, I mean, it is a marvelous thing. But at the same time, it's a terrifying thing. I mean, you, you're walking into the very presence of God. And what, can stand in the, what cannot stand in the presence of God? Unrighteousness. What are we? Unrighteous. So this is terrifying, right? Because you get to enter into the presence of God, but at the same time, you're bringing with you the very thing that cannot stand in the presence of God because you are unrighteous and you're carrying in with you the unrighteousness of all the people who you represent. So it's a terrifying thing, but at the same time, a marvelous thing. So as the priest walks in, they walk in and they also have bells on their coats in case this thing doesn't go right, right? And there's a rope there. We got to pull them out if we have to. I mean, this, it's, a, it's a marvelous thing, and it is a terrifying thing. And see, the, these garments, they also represent that the ideal high priest is one who trusts in and has in his heart the pleasure of God for his people. He trusts that God has in his heart the pleasure for his people. So there's this pocket on the breast piece. And this pocket on the breast piece, it holds two stones, Urim and Thummim. One of the stones is light colored, one of the stones is dark colored. The way the Israelites in their worship then and uh, in trying to discern the will of God, they would pull out one of the stones and by faith they would trust, okay, this is God's decision, this is what I'll do. Now, we don't do things like that today. Why? Because you have the Bible, because we have the Holy Spirit. We don't need stones to tell us what to do. We have God's word and we have his spirit who indwells us. But that's how it worked then. I mean, that, in, in their expression of faith, this is how they attempted to be faithful. Okay, is, it, is, is this God's will or is that God's will? Now, the interesting thing here is as the priest enters the most holy place, it's already been decided. God's word has already gone forth. You were to take the sins, the unrighteousness of the people into the most holy place and I will extend forgiveness as you offer a sacrifice on their behalf. It's already been decided. The priests aren't walking in and thinking, okay, let me, uh, let me pull out a stone here. Is God going to forgive or is he not going to forgive? How's this thing going to work? No, it's already been decided. It's already been decided mercy is going to triumph over judgment. That decision has already been made. So why the stones? Because they press against the chest of the priest. As a reminder, it has been decided. It has been decided. God's decision has been made. Mercy is going to triumph over judgment. And the priests need this reminder. Because think of everything that the priests have seen. I mean, th think of all that they've been through, all the Israelites have been through up to this point. I mean, you remember just at the mountain of Mount Sinai not, not too long ago? I mean, how the mountain would have shook and it would have trembled and how smoke descended and there was thunder and there was lightning and there was the trumpet blaring. And as all this is happening, God's word had gone forth. Do not touch the mountain or you die. And now what is the instruction? Come on in. But you come in once a year. You put in all these clothes. You make sure you go through all your consecration process. You do all that. You offer the sacrifices this way. You do all that to atone for the sins of the people that you represent. Well, that's a terrifying thing, isn't it? I mean, you can understand how that's a little nerve-wracking. What, what, what if I miss the order? What if I don't put this garment on just right? What if, what if I don't approach this thing just right? What if I forget the blood here and the horns? What, what, what if I mess it up? Am I toast? 
And so they're walking in with these stones pressed against their chest as a reminder. No, God's will has already been decided. His mercy will triumph over judgment. So all of these garments, they represent the ideal high priest. But there's still one problem. For the Israelites, the ideal high priest wasn't there yet. And so a man, a sinful man, still has to put on these garments. And who's that man going to be? Well, in this case, a sin, sinful man, namely Aaron and his sons, are going to put on these garments to represent other sinful men. And to see just how sinful they are, I mean, you can continue reading Exodus and the rest of the Pentateuch, and you'll see Aaron and his sons, they had some serious problems. I mean, this is a dysfunctional family. People are going to be slaughtered because of their sinfulness and their unrighteousness. And, and yet they are the ones who are going to be consecrated to go in once a year to this most holy place. And in order for a sinner to be a priest and to, to act as a priest for other sinners... Well, in Exodus 29, you see four uh, aspects to this and how this is going to work. So first, there's going to be a washing. It's a ceremonial washing. It's, it's, it's a washing of consecration, and it's a big deal. I mean, this isn't just like, let's sprinkle some water on your head or dab your feet here a little bit. No, th this is like a full body, real intense cleansing that needs to happen. Second, well, you got to put on all these garments. You got to make sure that you have all those coats, all those sashes, all those bells and chains and medallions and everything else. Don't forget the turban. You got to get it all. So you get all the garments on. And then number three, well, you, you have to be a anointed with oil. So we're going to anoint you to go in and to act on behalf of everybody else. There's, there's this anointing process that takes place. And then lastly, fourthly, there's certain sacrifices that you've got to bring in. Here, here are the sacrifices. Here's what you have to bring in with you as you carry in the unrighteousness of the people, as you make atonement for them in the presence of God. So these are the four things that the priest must do as they're going in. Now, what does that mean for us? Understand this. We are now a kingdom of priests. First Peter tells us that, that now, those of us who are now under the law of Christ, saved by his grace, we are a kingdom of priests. And yet we look around and none of us are wearing like these 900 pound garments today, right? I mean, we don't have all these gold uh, sashes and all kinds of medallions and the bells and the whistles and all this kind of stuff. Why? Well, how come we're not wearing all that? Well, because the ideal high priest has come. We are now a kingdom of priests because the ideal high priest, the man from heaven, has come. I want you to see it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. And by that will, that is the will of Christ to do the will of the Father, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But 
When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I mean, it's incredible. Before Jesus showed up, there's this continual sacrificial system, always making payment, trying to make restitution for sin. And so it's sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. I mean, you're making sacrifices for sins that you don't even know if you committed or not. You're just, you're just making a sacrifice just in case. And there's all kinds of offerings you got to offer. You got your burn offering, your wave offering, your grain offering, all kinds of offerings that you're making. And it's continual. It's always happening. And then Jesus shows up. And he's not wearing these priestly garments. Why? Because he's not representing the ideal high priest. He is the ideal high priest. He is the man from heaven. And he comes with all people, representing all people on his heart and on his shoulders, carrying all of their unrighteousness, determined to do the will of the Father. He lays down his life as the permanent, ultimate, one-time, one-size-fits-all sacrifice for all of humanity so that we can be made right with God permanently, so that no more sacrifice needs to take place. And so what does Jesus do after the sacrifice has been made? He sat down. I mean, he sat down. The priests, they never sat down, right? It's sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You go to sleep, you get up the next day and you offer more sacrifices. It's always happening. It's continual. You're just looking forward to the next one. Jesus, he makes one sacrifice and he sits down. Why? Because there's nothing left to do the work has been done. He has perfected for all time those who are in the process of being sanctified. So we are seen as sanctified, as perfect, but yet still in the process of being sanctified. That, that's what the scripture is telling us here. This process is happening, but God knows because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it's as good as done. He's already completed it. He's perfected it. And when did he make this sacrifice? Well, he made sacrifice for all sin, past, present, future. And for those of us today, all of that sin was future. But yet his sacrifice was so big, it could handle all of the sin that we would do in our lives. He, he had already borne it on him. He went to God, to the real holy of holies with this perfect sacrifice on the cross to make restitution for us so that we could be reconciled to him. The sacrifice has been made. And so now the law, all that sacrificial system, well, it's antiquated. It's, it's, it's old. Jesus has fulfilled all that. And so now we are not un under that anymore. The ideal high priest has 
come. We are now under his law. And that law, well, the ethics of it all and all of that, it's been written on our hearts and our minds so that we are able to walk in conjunction with his will, joyfully obedient as it lights our path, walking in conjunction in step with the Holy Spirit who now resides in us to joyfully do the work that we've been called to do. Because understand this, now we are a royal priesthood. Yeah, those priestly responsibilities given to Aaron and his sons. Well, First Peter says that we are now that royal priesthood. So here's the thing. Do not punt your priestly responsibilities. Do not punt your priestly responsibilities to someone else. Don't look at the pastor and say, oh, well, you're a pastor. You, you should be doing that. You know, I, I just kind of give to the church or whatever. No. You are a high priest. You are a, a part of the royal priesthood. You have priestly responsibilities, priestly duties that you are to do. So, what are those priestly duties? How, how does this all work? Well, you've been consecrated for them, first off, right? You've been consecrated for them. Just like Aaron and his sons were consecrated for their priestly duties, you've been consecrated for yours. However, Aaron and his sons, well, they were consecrated with water, okay? There was this cleansing, this water cleansing that took place. But here's the thing about water. You take a shower one day, and you got to take a shower again, you know, in the next day or two, right? I mean, you go out, you do stuff. And this is what I'm trying to teach my son. He's seven. It's like, hey, Pierce, I know you took a shower three days ago, but, you know, you've been playing in dirt. You've been riding your bike. You're all sweaty. You've touched worms, whatever it is. Like, you need another shower today. And he's like, Dad, Mom, I mean, I took a shower three days ago. I'm good. And we're like, bro, if you want to have friends, like you got to take another shower. Why? Because water just doesn't last all that long. However, we have not been consecrated with water. We have been cleansed with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus not fully and perfectly and finally covers our sin, completely washes it all away so that we will never be dirty again. Now, don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again. It doesn't mean that we don't have to go through processes and, and obedience and restoration with other believers and things like that. It doesn't mean any of that at all. It just means that nothing we can ever do can now separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord because it has been paid for. We cannot get dirty again. So we are now fit to be priests. The consecration process has taken place. And as we've been consecrated by the blood of Jesus, now we have responsibilities. Now, those responsibilities are best seen actually in the bookends in Exodus 27 and Exodus 30. Why? In Exodus 27, you've got the, the golden lampstand. You always keep it burning. See, here's, the, here's your first primary responsibility as a priest, to represent God to the people. That's what the lampstand did. The lampstand was telling the people God is always present. He's never on vacation. He's never taken a nap. He's always in your midst, always in the thick of it. And that's now our responsibility as we live our lives, both in words and actions and deeds, that we give up our rights, that we do whatever it takes to show people God is present. He's active. He loves. And so this is, this, this is what we do. 
and it impacts all of life. The God isn't just present on Sundays or Wednesday nights or any kind of special days, but God is present in each and every moment, in each and every detail of life. So we do all things to the glory of God, representing him to people as best we can at all times. It's our first priestly responsibility, just like the golden lampstand, to represent God to the people. And now Exodus 30, the other bookend here, the altar of incense. The altar of incense represents the prayers of the people. That God is always active. He's always listening. And so that's our other priestly responsibility to represent people to God. That is, we pray on behalf of people. We have a burden, a passion for people to see them know God and then to walk with him, to live the life that they are called to live, to be the disciple makers that they are made to be. And so that means we come alongside them and we disciple them. And as we're doing that, we're praying for them. We're representing them to God. And we don't just pray prayers of of health and safety and protection. We pray those, but we also pray big, audacious prayers, the kind of prayers that Jesus prayed and the kind of prayers that Paul prayed. Oh, we pray that, that these people, that they would know the depth and the fullness of the, of the richness of the knowledge and the power of God. They'd be able to walk in that, that they would walk in unity with brothers and sisters so that we would be a, a perfect representation of God to a watching world. We, we pray that our love would be this sweet aroma that awakens other people, a watching world to the way, to, to, to the way our God is and how he loves and how he cares. I mean, this is our responsibility to represent the people to God. And so we pray prayers like that. We intercede for them that way. That's our function, right? To live as priests, representing people to God and at the same time representing God to people. And how do we do that? How do we live these bookends? Because we've been consecrated as priests. Because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and now clothed, not with 900-pound heavy garments that we've got to wear, but clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Oh, man, you know how jealous Moses and Aaron and all these guys would be of you? To know that you don't have to just put on all these garments, and you don't have to go through all this stuff, but you, you've just got it all. Like, the ideal high priest has come, that you are now clothed in his righteousness, that you, you don't have to come in making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, but that his sacrifice was sufficient forever, and now your responsibility is this, and you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, the Word of God, to read, oh, they would trade places with you in a heartbeat. You see... We get to live this out. We get to walk in the in step with the Spirit, displaying God's presence to people and bringing, representing the people to God. And we do that because we have been consecrated as priests. In order to walk and to live that priestly life that we've, called, that we've been called to live, well, we had to walk in the presence of God, in step with the Spirit. See, hope really does rest in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even as we look back and we see this sacrificial system and everything that had to happen in order for those sacrifices to to take place all those years ago, God, we are so grateful 
for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, that was a one-time fits-all sacrifice for all people. And so now, God, may we represent you well as your priest, representing you to people and at the same time representing people to you. Help us to live uh, the life you've called us to live well by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.